This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back to the Struck Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett, and we've got a great show for you here today. Uh, in our first segment, we're going to cover some kind of scary news uh, on an Airbus uh, out of New Zealand was diverted after a lightning strike, so we'll, we'll chat a little bit about that. Um, Boeing 737 MAX might be delayed again. I mean, <laughs> the saga continues. Uh, we'll chat a little bit more about Boeing and the, the amount of jets they delivered this quarter, or not this quarter, but this past month, which was crazy low. Um, and a little weird quarantine run-in from a unlucky uh, plane full of people. So that's uh, some kind of funny uh, COVID news here. But in our engineering segment, we'll talk a little bit about uh, BAE working with Jaunt. Um, on flight control actuators, and then our EVTOL of the week, we're going to talk about the Connect Air, uh, the Volt Aero Casio, which is a, a four-seater, um, actually maybe larger pass, uh, passenger capacity. So pretty interesting little pusher plane. Alan, what is going on? Well, it, it's really strange aircraft news over the last uh, week or two. I know it. It seems like airlines are struggling, and they are. Uh, but I got to say that the aircraft industry in terms of projects has been relatively busy. And that's a good positive sign because it's all those little projects that get rolling that turn into larger products later on. So things are... Well, you said you've gotten some new, some new projects uh, recently, right? Yeah, several. Uh, and it, that always comes and, and sometimes it just comes just because everybody's sort of back from vacation. August, early August, people mm -hmm. like to take off and then... Uh, they come back in, you know, mid-August, September, and things start rolling again. It's just kind of like the shutdown around Christmas and January is always chaos. Uh, Mid-January is so positive. Some positive things going on out there. Well, that's that's good. That's good news for sure. Everyone wants to get back to work, and you see good people get rehired, and the industry get back to normal. That's for sure. So, well, let's on that note, let's start first with Boeing and how many jets they've delivered. So, in in July 2018. And this is an article from Barron's. They delivered 39 jets. Uh, this past July, they delivered four. <laughs> so what do you think about these numbers? Obviously, this isn't surprising anyone given how insane this year has been. Yeah. Again, my prediction still, we still have four months to go to see if the Kraken comes out of the deep sea um, <laughs> just to cap off this crazy year. <laughs> but I mean, what is your sentiment about four planes being delivered well the, the the issue really for boeing is the 737 max and because of covid there's not a lot of international flights going on so your bigger triple sevens uh are just not going to be in a big production since in in, in terms of demand they're just not going to be there so the, the the smaller 737s are going to be a workhorse internally to the u.s and also in in europe and asia and all over the place and since they can't deliver them doesn't doesn't help their bottom line, so they got to get the aircraft certified, and which it looks like it's coming closer and closer, at least in the U.S. But it says here that uh, the return outside the U.S. has maybe been slowed. So what's that about? In in terms of just outside sales outside the U.S. Well, it looks like the European Union Aviation Safety Agency is still waiting for more clarity yes. on Boeing. 
Yeah, and key update. I don't know if that's a a uh, policy position that they're having disputes about or an interpretation about particular rules that are maybe slightly different in the ASA and in other parts of the world versus the United States. But it does seem like there's always a little bit of dragging uh, when the Europeans Airbus certifies an airplane, FAA tends, can drag its feet. It seems like it, it doesn't seem like either side is trying to help the other country or region. Uh, I don't, so I don't know if it's politics or real engineering concern when you get to these levels of international disputes. And the 737 has reached clearly international dispute territory. Sometimes the engineers don't get to play so much as much as the politicians get to step into it. Could be both. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah. Well, that was a good point by you that you're right. Like domestic air travel is going to be the first thing to come back and it's going to be really busy at some point. And you're right. Like Boeing has the plane. They have like the perfect plane for that. They do. But they just continue to have problems. Like they've got, man, the solution, but it's just not there. Right. So hopefully you're right. The, the 737 Max gets, gets into the hands of these companies that want to fly it and are ready to, put it to good work and get people back around the country. And I, I thought the Airbus A220 was going to pick up on some sales and deliveries just because they are not necessarily a one-to-one competitor to the 737, but they are sort of that regional jet, new modern out uh, cockpit, design, cabin, efficiency. It has all, it checks all the boxes the A220 does. And it, it has seen some improved sales. There's no doubt about that, but they're not going to rival the 737 anytime soon. So people are still waiting for the 737 or they're not taking airplanes, one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Airbus. So there was an Air New Zealand A320 that got struck by lightning and quickly diverted. And this is really sad because it's a beautiful plane. Like I'm looking at this photo and it's like black with that cool like feather or uh, maybe it's a leaf, whatever it is at the end. Kind of like little some little tribal symbol on the on the tail. Coolest plane, like that plane's awesome. But anyway, this is I mean, planes get struck in commercial flight about once a year. So why is this plane diverting? Like I thought it's not a big deal where they just kind of keep going and no big deal. But that doesn't seem to be the case. It's not a safety impact as much as it is an inspection requirement they're trying to handle. And if you're at a major hub where you have mechanics and and technicians. To inspect the aircraft, you probably don't want to fly away from that hub. You want to go back to that hub and have the aircraft inspected so they can get back in service as, as soon as it can. If you fly to some remote destination and or if you're going to fly over the water. So this is, is New Zealand. So there's a lot of flights most likely over water. Um, not sure mm-hmm. you want to take a long flight over water and you probably will divert back. It's like if you're flying from London to New York and you had a lightning strike coming out of London, you're probably going to go back to London. Um, similar similar situation here. But there, there is, it does tend to play into the part of there's mandatory inspections after lightning that have to occur. And if you go to a remote airport where you don't have those mechanics and technicians on site to do that inspection, then the airplane is essentially grounded. And then you got to send a backup airplane to go to get everybody to their next destination. So sometimes it's, it's as a passenger, it's like the worst situation. The airplane turns around and goes back and you're stuck on the ground for a couple hours while they inspect the airplane. But overall it's probably your fastest way to get the flight completed yeah well in slightly more comical news the plane was traveling from from france to oslo norway 
and landed just minutes after a mandatory quarantine was imposed, meaning every passenger on board had to self-isolate for 10 days. I mean, obviously, the coronavirus is no laughing matter, but that just seems like, oh, we just missed, we just missed it, <laughs> and then they're stuck. And that really sucks. I mean, we've you've talked about this before on how cumbersome that, I mean, how difficult that is for the industry in general. Like, if every time you travel, you have to quarantine, that's a nightmare. But this one just seems like they, they just, man, got a bad draw here. But, um, but yeah, funny story. Next, they landed right at midnight. And so the, the deadline was, or the, the, the quarantine period started at midnight. So if they had arrived at 11.59, they would have been fine. <laughs> and it sounded like the pilot was, because they're all getting a little flustered there, because he's, the impression was, was like, hey, we landed in time. We landed at midnight. And, and the law says, no, at midnight, it counts towards the quarantine side. So should have flown a little bit faster. I feel like you got to get... I feel like you got to get someone to fudge the paperwork for you at that point. Like no, no one owes the pilot a favor. Like, come on, just, <laughs> just rub it out. It was 1158 instead of 1201. Like no big deal. Yeah. But, I, man. Yeah. We, we're having that experience here in the States too, where the, the quarantine thing is coming in. It's a big deal to be quarantined for 14 days. All right, so here in our engineering segment, we're going to talk a little bit about BAE. Um, Alan, you obviously have a lot of experience with all these different systems on on aircraft, and and you said one of the cool parts of your job is that you got to you know because you're in high intensity radio frequency and lighting protection that you were involved in lots more systems than perhaps other engineers um, who were maybe you know put on just like wing projects or a little more niche parts of the aircraft. So um, tell me a little bit about the what, what BAE is doing with these fly-by-wire tests on on EVTOLs. So, so as as you know, as, the air, as we get to more electric aircraft and the aircraft uh, gets smaller, that means all the associated components are going to get smaller and lighter and more efficient. And uh, companies like BAE who are making actuators and flight control computers and all kinds of avionics and electrical power distribution stuff, they're involved in all kinds of aspects on the aircraft. Uh, They have a ton of expertise and a a really long history, successful history of designing aircraft systems. So now that we're having this sort of brand new marketplace with EVTOLs, BAE can just step right into that because they they have the the engineers to to move that forward, uh, and, and it's not just like I'm just going to go out and design an actuator, uh, one small actuator. They're thinking about the whole aircraft in terms of how it integrates to one another, how they can save weight and cost over the whole vehicle, not just producing a particular component. And that's where someone like BAE can have a lot of value added in, in terms of an aircraft corporation because they can come to you with a whole suite of things that already talk to one another and have already been qualified together. So you're not qualifying company A with company B and trying to get the two things to work together. They're providing an integrated solution. That's where that makes B- sense. Yeah, it's a huge advantage, and if you can partner with someone like BAE early in your development, it just gets you to certification faster. Because the one thing that BAE definitely knows is how to certify systems. So they're going to really uh, ramp your aircraft project towards the finish line way faster than without them. 
So it's not just the, the, the advantages of having more efficient components. That's totally true. But sometimes the worst part of aircraft uh, design is this getting to certification on time. Because when you start slipping, you start spending millions and millions of dollars and you sometimes can't recover from that. And what is a fly-by-wire? So this is me being a layman, but what does a fly-by-wire system exactly mean? It just means it's electrically driven, typically, or that the, the commands are by wires. If you think about uh, a Cessna, it, in most people's heads, a Cessna, an old Cessna, everything there is done, the, the, the control surfaces are driven by uh, wires, control wires, essentially cables or uh, tubing of some sort. So it's all mechanical. But uh, in this particular case, what BAE is offering is all electrical interfaces, much lighter. Yeah. And so, I mean, we were, we were chatting before um, we came on air here and just talking about like the payload capacity. So one of the, uh, the, the new EVTOLs, the Volocopter, I remarked about how it's got a max payload of 900 kilograms and its empty weight is 700. I'm like, man, 200 kilograms doesn't seem like a lot. And that's where you can definitely tell that shaving weight from something like this with, with BAE or any of these little weight savings could make a big difference. Cause I mean, you have two Husky dudes. That's <laughs> all. I mean, you, they, they can't have any luggage, right? I mean, right. Americans are fat. I mean, we're a very fat nation. You have a 260 pound man or woman in there and you know, they're traveling solo. So it seems like right. this is really important, obviously for not only just, uh, you know, reducing potentially the amount of lift they need where they can be a little quieter s still, even though they're way quieter than, uh, than gas driven, Yeah. but also just making it easier. Like you said, to get certified and get in the air. Right. It, it's all related to weight and cutting weight costs, cuts operational costs and allows more payload, uh, which is a huge selling point for any aircraft. If you can get your golf clubs in it or kids, kids backpacks or stuff in the aircraft, it just makes it much more functional. All right, so our, our final segment here today, we always love talking about uh, EVTOLs and new technology. And so today's no exception. Let's talk about the Connect Air. So uh, they're talking about, it's a really cool design. Um, the Casio family of hybrid electric aircraft can carry between four and 10 passengers. Um, and this is a pusher plane. So Alan, what, what's, what are the interesting features in this design? Because it's definitely futuristic looking for sure. Yeah. Um, very sleek and svelte and why pusher instead of a, a front propeller? Uh, usually it's, it's to make the cabin quieter. That's why you put the propeller behind you a lot of times, if you can. It doesn't make the aircraft any more efficient, that's for sure. Uh, we know that from the Beach Starship days. This aircraft has some resemblance to Beach Starship and has a canard or any sort of Burt Rutan-ish airplane of the era where it's got a canard in the front and it's got the, the propeller in the back. Uh, but the, the benefits of propeller in the back is it's quieter. Uh, it sometimes can make a little more cabin space. Uh, you, you take the engines off of the wing. It, it has a, a lot of different benefits in terms of uh, not so much aerodynamic performance as it is just sort of functionality. That's where it comes down to. And so Voltero, who's uh, working with uh, the on-demand charter company Connect Air, they claim they can get this certified under YASA's CS23 rules mm -hmm. um, by late 2022. 
Does that seem reasonable to you? Nope. I mean, I know you're pretty passionate about <laughs> certification. <laughs> you're very outspoken about certification. Yeah, there's, no, there's, why not? There's, there's why so not? many. Well, it's a brand new design, so they're going to get uh, pushed through the all the certification testing for materials, structure, uh, all the systems, all the qualifications for systems. Those regulations are are less than what they would be on a larger aircraft, but there's still a, a huge amount of testing and money to be spent and engineering time to be spent to certify that aircraft. I, I've never seen a schedule aggressive as that. You can count on almost a five-year start to finish, you know, or, or another clock you can put down typically is once they get to first flight, it's about three years after first flight. And in this particular case, uh, you have a feeling like this is sort of funding driven. So if you can get investors to buy into your shortened timeline, regardless of what promises you're making them, it sort of feeds the machinery to keep the, the business up and running. You need that influx of cash and that positivity for the employees and everybody to keep paying everybody. So it's sort of a... It can turn into sort of a shell game because it's it's extreme. Aircraft is is an extremely risky business, especially new aircraft, because you're going up yeah. against known competitors. Like you're going up against Honda. Like really, <laughs> Honda has infinite funds mm-hmm. compared to you. Or you're going up against an Airbus, or you're going up against a Textron or Bell or somebody. Those companies have been around forever, and they have the resources to crush you. So uh, anything that you do. Uh, it's gonna ha- if it, it has a positive influence on the market. Like if you're changing things in the marketplace, don't expect everybody else to sit on the on their backside and watch you do it. They're gonna take those designs and corporate into what they already have and and beat you at your own game. So it's a very very tough marketplace. And what they're trying to do with saying they're gonna certify by 2022 is says it basically says we're gonna beat our competitors to this design milestone because we're just faster. All the best, right? All the best. I haven't seen it really ever happen. So, you know, keep it with, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Well, in this, in this design, I mean, it says they're hoping it can fly up to 800 miles. Yeah. At a speed of around 200 knots, which that's pretty slow. So that's going to take, it's not yeah, jet, it's take right. some time, but yeah, it's a, it, yeah. it's a, it's a turbo, it's basically turbo prop speeds. Yeah. Well, it's, it's electric too. Yeah. And if that gets you from, you know, say, New York to Chicago, that's going to be what four or five hour flight instead of maybe a two hour flight. It's about a two hour flight from the East Coast to Chicago. Yeah, right? so it'd be about a four hour flight, and, oh, and that, at those speeds, yeah. yeah, roughly, yeah. And is this? And we haven't seen too many in the electric uh, sector here as we've been kind of reviewing these and, and going through them. That's that are really interested in this market where right. that's a that's a pretty good distance. Most of these, I mean, a lot of them have been thinking about the. You know, go, heading over to Jim's house down the street, you know, in your yeah, in your, your, your copter, <laughs> right? And then others are like, well, let's maybe we'll cut down like a three-hour drive into a forty-five-minute flight, right? And um, now this one seems like it's an even much more long distance. I mean, does that seem reasonable that you know electric vehicles will be able to do that in the near future? It seems like the technology isn't there, but I don't know. It, it depends on where their the application is. Uh, I heard a good discussion today dealing with every aircraft is not going to fit every potential marketplace or every particular demand. So there are very, it's a very niche market. There's the segmentation can be very clear. Uh, I, I, years ago, there the 
the uh, Eclipse aircraft out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, that little little twin-engine jet had a lot of use down in Florida, going from southern Florida to Miami up to northern Florida, uh, Jacksonville or someplace like that. So, it, you know, it, it just from going across the state, it was a very useful aircraft, and it had its own separate little marketplace there. California's going to be that way. There's parts of the U.S. and parts of Europe the same way, where there's a, a marketplace where – 100 miles 200 miles is a, a pretty good sweet spot uh for making short short flight relatively short flights that are much faster than driving and so there's a marketplace there what they're not going to do is they're not going to fly new york to los angeles in this thing that will not be their marketplace so finding that market segmentation and finding that sweet spot will be key to success here yeah and just two more little interesting things number one their propulsion system is a combination so it's an internal combustion engine that drives 360 kilowatt electric motors so they say the the quieter electric ones will be used for takeoff and landing and then the engine can extend extend range how do you feel about that it's a stepping stone i just think it's a stepping stone um it, there's, yes, there's no efficiency there. just not not quite there yet yeah. right and it's so and when it when it is there they can switch it over so if you can get I had this discussion with a, a client yesterday about get the product out <laughs> and get it in service, build your customer base, and then get to the next generation. Because it's more important to have yeah. something out in service and flying and, and productive than waiting for the ultimate in battery power to appear. That's not likely to happen in the next six months. So it's better it's better to be selling product than waiting to sell product. And this has that feel. Yeah. And they're going to allow users to book flights directly from a smartphone app from whatever airfield is nearest to them. So kind of, again, going into that like air taxi sort of feel, but for a longer distance. So pretty interesting. I mean, as far as like, all, again, all the different electric vehicles we've kind of talked about, reviewed, whatever you want to call it. This one's definitely uh, like a quirky different in between all the different ideas and different designs and definitely it's got its own seeming niche here so the the one key the one key about all the electrics when we get to that point is that it's going to offer offer up new opportunities to fill different marketplaces and mm -hmm. you're going to i think what you're going to see and as i we went to the air force uh, museum in dayton ohio last summer and walk through it. And one of the one of the key things that as you walk through that museum, because it kind of goes from the dawn of flight to today, is the power plant changes everything. So aircraft design is based on the power plant. And we are creating electric power plants. Now we're in the early phases of that. Aircraft will evolve with those power plants. And we're going to see new opportunities arise in the aircraft market to fill other places that we couldn't satisfy before because the power plant will let us do it. That's where I think the opportunities lie is understanding where those new marketplaces are going to pop out because the power plant's going to let us do it. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening and please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WGLightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection.
Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardarrow.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.